1: Welcome to the Terrible Podcast Season 14, Episode 88. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday. Steelers Nation as we get ready for Super Bowl 58 between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. Dave, I feel like every episode, we're just like, there's so much to talk about. There's just so (laughs) much happening, and it's kind of crazy to think about here in February, but there is so much for us to discuss.
0: We're not going to be dialing this thing down to two, <laughs> two, two shows a week this all season, are we? I was thinking no. that my wife was asking me, I you don't know, a few weeks ago, when 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 do you uh, dial it down to two shows a week, and how long is it for? And I don't know if we're going to get there uh, with the way the news cycle uh, uh, happens that you know, it, it is happening at this point. Boy, you w- wake up, uh, obviously today's Friday morning, and uh, felt like a game night last night
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really did
0: uh having a cram out or not so much me i was chasing stuff down for you guys but obviously you guys having to write up stuff coming out of uh uh nfl honors and all like that just yesterday as a whole i mean traffic on the site and uh kept everybody uh, busy with some news that we're going to discuss here right off the uh off the top so uh yeah, th- this is a monster that, uh, that 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 doesn't slow down. So I guess we we got to get busy here, trying to eat this monster one bite at a time.
1: Yeah, and just a preview a little bit later in this show, we'll have part two of our draft all-star game roundtable. Talk to the Shrine Bowl crew on Wednesday. We'll talk to the Senior Bowl group uh, a little bit later here uh, today. That is Ross McCorkle and Jonathan Hightrader. They were in Mobile, Alabama, for the twenty twenty four Senior Bowl last week. So we'll talk to them, get their thoughts in a moment. Have NFL honors. Of course, we'll talk about TJ Watt snubbed, Cam Hayward, Walter Payton, man of the year. But before we do that, Pittsburgh making two coaching hires. And so we talked about all the departures on the last episode. Now some new names added to the mix and even some kind of discussion and uncertainty there. But uh, the two hires are Zach Azani, the new wide receivers coach. He will replace Chrisman Jackson. Azani, most recently with the New York Jets, also spent time with the Denver Broncos and was a B's uh, co- coach in college. And so, interesting connection there. And then Tom Arth, who apparently will be the quarterbacks coach. There's been some confusion. Initial report about Arth uh, being hired for a passing game role. Uh, local media re- correcting and reporting it's for the quarterback coach position. Mike Sullivan's still on staff. Not sure where that leaves him. Apparently, the team will try to find a role. For Mike Sullivan, but uh, Zach Azani, Tom Arth, newest Steeler coaches.
0: All right. uh, Where do you want to start on this? Because obviously it's within 24 hours of of that news uh, breaking, and we're not going to pretend that we know everything about both these guys. We did, however, uh, at least I did, uh, more so on Azani, and I think you on Arth. so maybe each one of us can, can talk about kind of what we do know about each of these guys. Uh, I guess I'll start with, 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 with Zach Azani, who, who most recently was, uh, uh, the wide receivers coach with the New York jets for one year in 2023. Uh, before that was boy, several seasons in Denver, Uh, As a wide receivers coach, uh, cut his broke, uh, broke his NFL uh, uh, tooth, if you will, with the Chicago Bears back in 2017. Uh, Been been coaching for for several years, man. I mean, for for a guy, his age only, I think, 47 uh, at this point. Has been around the the actual game for a while. Uh, Got his uh, uh, start, I think, Valparaiso in 1999. Went on to Bowling Green, Uh, as you mentioned, Central Michigan when 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 Antonio Brown was there. uh, A major program at Florida, passing game coordinator in 2010. On to Western uh, Kentucky. Spent time in Wisconsin, Tennessee. I mean, he's he really has been all over the place there. Uh, Start with. Going back, uh, uh, this will be painted. This is probably going to be painted more colorful for him when, when it comes to his Central Michigan years than probably more than, than than meets the eye. There, my my takeaway with that little tidbit about Central Michigan and, and 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 Antonio Brown and probably the most redeeming thing to come out of there is it seems like. You know Antonio Brown was a little bit difficult <laughs> even back at Central Michigan, uh uh, which probably was a you know obviously a prelude to you know him probably being a difficult personality to deal with at, at, at the NFL level. So I think the fact alone that in his portfolio here, Zach Azani has has some experience dealing with with that kind of personality type. I think that more than anything, because look, I mean, Antonio Brown, when he, when he was drafted, went, went late in the draft. Right. And, right. uh, and wasn't even Bruce Arians that, that, you know, said, I, I didn't even know if this guy was going to make, you know, he, uh, make the practice squad or, or he was going to be more of a practice squad guy. And let, you know, uh, as, as, as talented as Antonio Brown may have been coming out of college, he really refined his game at the NFL level. Right he got a lot
1: of, I think, strength. He just got, he added weight and got so much stronger. I think was the biggest difference he made.
0: Right. So I, I think the, the notion here to try for people maybe trying to paint this thing, uh, the, the Zach Ghazani hire is being, oh well, look at the Central Michigan years. I think that might be the wrong way to look at look at it. I know I I think it's part of this portfolio. I think it's something that you you do have to mention when you go through all of this and I think the fact that I think there's a story about didn't AB a- a- going in there and tear the office up or something uh like that uh uh, basically had an episode at central miss uh uh, michigan uh with azani and 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 both both those two i think speak very highly of each other uh now uh well after the fact there so there is that aspect of it but uh I, i i i don't think that the years that Central Michigan should be overstated, if that makes sense. I think you look at his portfolio uh, as a whole and the experience that he has specifically with dealing with wide receivers, I think that's impressive. Uh, Alex, my, my thing that, that stuck out in the quick kind of synopsis of of, of, of Zach Azani is kind of his coaching style and specifically with with, with the way that you hear some of these former players talk about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, specifically, the uh, the Denver years, uh, uh, which was, I think, kind of his longest stint in the NFL so far as, as a wide receivers coach. Uh, Cortland Sutton was quoted in the uh, in the athletic as saying he's someone who loves what he does to the T. He's Very passionate about how he coaches and what he believes in. He says some people can look at it and say he comes off as too much. But he does it because he loves us and he doesn't want us to fall under our potential. Uh, he said that would be one of the biggest things. And number two, he says just having fun. At the end of the day, it's you know, still a sport, blah, blah, blah. So Cortland Sutton, and this is that that's a couple of year old quote in the athletic on uh from, from Cortland, Cortland Sutton. And there was another I lost who the who the player was, uh, undraft or a uh, former undrafted uh, wide receiver for the Broncos. I wish. Uh, let's see if I have that here. Uh, I think I do here. Tim Patrick. I'm just guessing. No, no, it wasn't Patrick. Even though that was one of the guys that 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 that, that he did coach there. Uh, mm-hmm. I got the article pulled up now. I'm trying to find the exact quote here, but uh, anyway, uh, the 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 young wide receiver uh, in 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 so many words uh, said that Azani is where's my quote here more of a standard over feelings kind of coach. And in 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 short, this wide receiver said, "Look, he you know he's not he he doesn't care if he's going to hurt your feelings or not. He's gonna he's gonna let you know what's on his mind." And, you know, that will, that, and, and, and that's that. So uh, I, I kind of take it as him being a harder nose coach. Uh, Who was it? Uh, Oh, here it is. It was uh, Jalen Virgil was the wide receiver's name. Mm. I've got so many tabs open here on my browser (laughs) here. I'm doing some research there. Here's a direct quote from Jalen Virgil. Virgil. This is from the. Denver post in September of 2022. He says he coaches us really hard, but that helped me develop rapidly from OTAs until now said Virgil, who made the team as an undrafted rookie. Uh, He was on me all the time at first, but since it's always been standard over feelings with him, that helps us weed out being emotional about getting coached up and just focus on getting better. And that quote of all of them that I that I went back and tried to pull of, 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 of players here really kind of stuck out the most to me because, uh, look, there's a good chance that this wide receiver room loses the veteran presence in, 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 in Allen Robinson, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you obviously have a guy that you're trying to work on him, a maturity level in George Pickens. And we know how temperamental uh, at at times Deontay Johnson can be. And those are going to be your two main guys uh, uh, moving forward here, especially if this team, you know, along with Calvin Austin, who's still cutting his uh, teeth and making his way in the NFL as well, too. So I think my main takeaway, at least so far when it comes to a guy like Kazani being the wide receivers coach is he, it doesn't sound like he he he's afraid to hurt these guys feelings and he's more you know I would say the key takeaway is standard over feelings mantra that he has.
1: That's great information and it's good feedback to always hear that from the players and get their perspective. I'm still gathering information on the hire. I think our Josh Carney will have an article that kind of devotes to his backstory and philosophy and how he'll teach the group. So be on the lookout for that it's interesting though that word standard because you talk about the Steelers and Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. what do they always say standard is the standard and that can mean different things in that case it's kind of about next man up and you know won't use injuries as an excuse but there's certainly a standard in Pittsburgh that they they want to set and to hear those words kind of align makes sense so um, wasn't somebody on my radar I'll admit it's impossible to know you know from the infinite number of people who could be hired you know at all these guys and so somebody i want to learn more about but still relatively young 47 i thought it might be an older hire overall but he is very experienced and is coached in the college level coached in the nfl level and so i like guys that have been able to do both and relatively recently do both too to kind of get a feel for the guys to come out and working with young people and what makes them tick and how they learn. And those things are critical components of becoming a quality and effective coach. So still have to learn more, but uh interesting name. And uh, he's worked with young guys and molded them. Garrett Wilson this past year with the jets and young guys out there in Denver before Cortland Court, Sutton, uh, notably. So, uh, I think there's some, some intrigue there. All
0: right. Uh, I think, you know, more about Tom Arth than I do. So I'll let you speak to him.
1: Yeah, because he's been reported the last couple of days to come in for an interview. And then, of course, now being tabbed as the hire. And I'm still learning more about the, the philosophy behind him. I have to do some some deeper dives into that. But the backstory on him, he was a quarterback at John Carroll, which is a D3 powerhouse. And he set a bunch of records there, played in the NFL, was with the Colts, I think practice squad for a bit, never appeared in an NFL game, went to NFL Europe for a bit, bounced around different leagues, the Arena Football League. Went to the Packers for a little bit, and then broke into coaching in 2010. Going back to John Carroll as a co-offensive coordinator and recruiter, became their head coach. A couple of years later, led them to a bunch of success, and has been a head coach at uh, I think UT Chattanooga, and then most recently with the Akron Zips from 2019 to 2021. Did not go well with the Zips. He went three and 24 in three seasons. I believe he got fired, but you know it's tough to win in Akron. Few pe- few coaches have in the last I don't know 20 30 years. Um, and then he was hired by Brandon Staley of the Chargers as kind of a pass game specialist and was there for the last two years. Of course, the Chargers retooling their whole coaching staff with Staley out and Harbaugh in um, made a guy like Tom Arth available. But a quarterback heavy background, um, you know, again, past game coordinator was in a room with Peyton Manning for some time in his NFL career, which is certainly interesting and notable. Still have to learn more about the philosophy behind what he teaches and um, kind of learn more about that aspect of it but that's the background of Tom Morris. Uh,
0: another note on Azani is you can find some articles there you know talking about you know relationship with uh, uh, Daryl Drake who uh, obviously passed away a few years ago. so you know maybe that school of thought and, and you know obviously uh, Drake, you know, left, left, left this earth way, way too soon and all like that. But there seems to be, uh, you know, some connection maybe when it comes to Azani and, and and potentially, you know, a Drake coaching style and all like that. So uh, uh, obviously too early for either one of us to sit here and say, oh, great hire, great hire. But I mean, they, uh, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any real noticeable kind of connect the dots other than, you know, the AB thing and, you know, mentioning Drake, especially, you know, especially when it comes to Azani. And it's hard to really kind of link Azani, at least from, from my research up to to Arthur Smith. And it makes you kind of wonder how much, you know, how much say did, you know, are these Arthur Smith suggestions? I mean, it, it, it's it's too early to tell on all of that aspect there. But uh, uh, these are obviously, you know, would, would be framed as outside hires, right?
1: Yeah, definitely outside hires, and seemed to be that there were people Pittsburgh had in mind. You know, pretty pretty quickly. I, I wonder what Sullivan's role is going to be, assuming he does stay on staff. Is it? Is there going to be a pass game coordinator? Pittsburgh has never had a coach right. that held that title, and it seems like that's trending like it will continue, uh, and, and nobody will have it in Pittsburgh in past years. Essentially. The O-line coach was the de facto run game coordinator, handled that. still seems like that's the case based on some of the comments made about Pat Meyer uh, late in the year by Mason Rudolph. And then the, the OC was we kind of really in charge of the pass game. So that's kind of how they divide the later labor up despite no one ever actually carrying that title. But, I mean, if you're Sullivan, you know what is going to be his role like if, if, if Arth is going to be the quarterback's coach?
0: I kind of, you know, and obviously we don't know for sure yet and hope maybe maybe we'll know more by the time, uh, Monday's show rolls around and all like that I kind of view it maybe as a liaison, uh, a, a, a translator obviously work with, and we'll obviously see what happens with Mason Rudolph, whether or not he comes back, but, uh, this is a guy that you know, obviously has a relationship already with Kenny Pickett and you know we'll see if Mason Rudolph comes back or not, but, uh. Maybe kind of a bridge, a communicator, uh, a, a liaison, if you will, uh, to 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 the new coaches.
1: I'm going to sound like you and say, "Is this kind of a meeting of the bobs?" Uh, what do you do here, yeah. Mike Sullivan? I mean, to, if you're Mike Sullivan, do you want to be just a liaison? I mean, a, a demotion? You could, you just got interviewed to become an OC in two different places. We thought of highly enough to to get those looks. Didn't get hired, but but got those those interviews, and so to get demoted. I'm sure he could go run a quarterback room in some place in the NFL. Right. So I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll, maybe he'll become some sort of pass game coordinator or just offensive. Assist. I, I I don't know, but right. if I'm Mike Sullivan. I'm kind of wondering, okay, is this the right job for me?
0: Yeah. And, and once again, you know, the way the reports came in and you know, we're, we're, we're conflicted. And I mean, is it a slam dunk? Sullivan's going to stay. It sounds like they want him or want to work mm-hmm. out something there, but, um, Maybe they don't work out something. So uh, I guess to be continued until they actually name <laughs> name the position types with, 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 with each of these guys.
1: Yeah, very curious to see, just again, confirmation on Arth and then to see exactly what Sullivan's role is going to be, what his title will be, at least to get an idea of that. Um, any other thoughts here on these coaching hires?
0: Yeah, not, not I mean, I, I laid out there what, what, what I know to this point. I think Josh Carney is going to take a deep dive into uh, uh, Zani and you're going to be uh, presenting a deeper dive into what you find on, on, on Arth over the next few days, right?
1: Yeah, so be on the lookout for that. And maybe we can speak about it more on Monday and get some more information on kind of the philosophy with these two guys because we're all about that. Because, I mean, you can judge, you know, and you should to some extent the results of what they got from different places, but coaches can only control so much. You can't glean everything into that. So a lot of this is about the person, the coach, how they teach, what their philosophy is. Or are those things aligned? That matters as much as the actual results of the places the, 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 uh, these guys had coached before previously yeah well put all right dave let's get into nfl honors a busy night as you said kind of kept this up until midnight the uh, big nfl yearly award show for mvp and rookie of the year and coach of the year etc etc a bunch of steelers related news here let's get the uh, elephant in the room here out of the way tj watt as expected did not win defensive player of the year was not actually even at the ceremony, which was our first indication that okay, this is not a man expecting to take home a trophy, uh, he skipped out on the ceremony. Miles Garrett taking home the award. It was actually my, my prediction, I think, was pretty close overall, but the race between Garrett and Watt was closer than what I even thought it was. Uh, Garrett had 23 first place votes to Watt's 19. Uh, this is the awards based on an overall point total of first, second, and third place votes, and I think Garrett won by. 25 or so total points. So it was a really close margin, but that will provide a little comfort to Steeler fans who are obviously upset about Garrett winning the award. So your reaction?
0: Uh, first and foremost, I think uh, we know that, uh, that these guys got word <laughs> the ceremony or before the awards uh, uh, started that who, 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 who won and who didn't and uh, what obviously posted on social media and it it became very clear real quick that he was not going to attend, which uh, uh, probably meant he did not win. And he indeed did not win. Uh, I think we, we both agreed going into this uh, way. We thought this was likely to turn out. Uh, the voting overall, as you mentioned, I, I think was, uh, was 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 close. My biggest takeaway uh, of this, and look, I I thought Watt should have won it. You know, uh, agree. And and, and uh, I do get all the. I love advanced analytics. Uh, I'm a big proponent of advanced analytics and, and I understand the win rate aspect of it and all. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you've got to marry that to the tape and impactful plays and just showing up on a weekend, a week out basis, not only in, you know, the advanced analytics stats that are, do not show up on in, in, in the game book, uh as opposed to the the, 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 the things that do matter and, and and all like that. Uh look, every argument I I understand uh for 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 Miles Garrett I but push comes to shove I thought uh Watt should have won the award and maybe just edged edge Garrett out within that. But uh, all that aside, my biggest takeaway is there were eight voters that did not have TJ Watt in their top three. Mm-hmm. And now there were a, a fewer, I think that did not, what was it? Three. Did, did you total them up? How many that did not have Garrett even in the, in the top three, it was obviously a I a, think so. a, a lower amount there, but my, I, my biggest, my biggest takeaway from all this, because I, this turned out the way I, we, we both thought it was going to go. Uh, but my biggest takeaway is that there, there were actually eight of 50 voters that did not have TJ Watt in their top three. And that's really, really hard to understand overall. Uh, and my second takeaway would be, I wonder how, I wonder just how, how much, you know, pull or push or whatever Pete, Pro football focus actually has now in 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 these awards and, and this type of thing.
1: They certainly have an impact and influence. Again, I don't know if it's as much all the writers, you know, going into a deep dive of the analytics. some of them do, certainly, but not I don't think all of them do, but just the the voice and the public. Uh, comments that PFF makes about that Garrett's the best defensive player. To me, this award was decided in like week thirteen because that's when Garrett was at his best. The Browns' defense was at their best, and um, I think people just kind of locked it up then and just. Yeah, and, almost, and,
0: a, and the PFF narrative was at its strongest at that time sure. too.
1: Sure, and there, there's to me an aspect of Garrett was due to win the award because he is recognized as a top defensive player who was without that that trophy. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to get on Twitter and debate Garrett versus Watt. I think I said earlier this year, I'm just done with that. I mean, it's, it's not changing anybody's minds. Steeler fans think Watt's the best and 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 Browns fans think Garrett is the best and no one's – it's like trying to change a political opinion. You can just talk all day long. It's, it's not going to change anything. So I'm not going to spend my energy doing that. I think Watt should have won the award. He would have had my first place vote. I expected Garrett to win it. You can respect the analytics, and and there's certainly value in that. I don't want to dismiss that entirely, but you can't just also automatically discount the dominant statistically that the Watt had in every category, including Sachs and over Garrett and over the entire field. But but you know, not surprised by the outcome in terms of Garrett winning, but the vote actually was a bit closer than I thought that would it, that that it would be. Although again, that's not providing any sort of you know consolation because either you win it or you don't, and Watt did not win it.
0: You know what's funny is NFL Total Access was rolling through the winners, kind of I guess in in in, in real time uh, after the fact there and showing graphics up on the screen and all like that. And Miles Garrett, the graphics that they used don't don't look very <laughs> flowerful, if you will. Uh, in fact, the 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 exact graphic that they used I put up on my Twitter feed sacks 14. Four fourteen, tied for seventh overall. Quarterback hits thirty eighth overall in the league. Tackles for loss seventeen, tied for seventh overall uh, in the league. Quarterback pressures seventy nine, tied for ninth in the NFL. Forced fumbles four, tied for fifth. Those were those were graphics that they somebody chose to 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 put up on the screen to to recap the season that miles Garrett had when discussing him just winning the defensive player of the year award. Now, <laughs> if, if you're going to paint it a little bit better, you'd probably have some win rate stuff, you know, and, 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 and all like that up there. I just, uh, you know, they, they further compounded the discussion by throwing those that that set of data up there on the screen on the NFL's own network, <laughs> you know, when, 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 when talking about it. now, look, is miles Garrett talented? Absolutely. It is, is, is the wit password rush, win rate, you know, real, so to speak, but yes, it is. It, it's a factor I think that needs to be considered overall there, but uh, um, you know, I trying to look at this as, 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 as unbiased as possible and understanding the advanced analytics aspect of it, uh, and then looking at man, wh- who are these eight voters that did not even have T.J. Right. Watt? And that's that's the that's the head scratcher of it all. Uh, you know, maybe if we're coming out of this, you know, with 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 Watt having a couple of more second place and third place votes in this to 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 tighten up the overall score margin even more. You know, this is still probably not going to get him the award there, but it it does lead me. To wonder how disconnected, and look, Mac, Max Crosby, a great, you know, uh, 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 had a great season, and 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 Parsons and all like that. But I guess my biggest head scratcher coming out of this once again is who were those eight voters mm-hmm. that did not even have Watt in their top three? I guess is 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 where I'm kind of left to analyze this.
1: Sure, to me, that's insanity to not have Watt on the podium. If you want to make a case for somebody else to win the award, I can listen to that. I, I know that'll upset some Steeler fans who believe it's an open and shut case. Um, I can at least listen to other perspectives for maybe why Watt should be second place and somebody else should be first, but to not even have Watt top three, I think it's just, just ludicrous to, to the eight people that did that. And and as you said, three people did not have Garrett in their top three. Um
0: and, yeah, and, I don't know. and who who and who were those people, you know? Uh and here's the thing. I'm going to get on the soapbox here now a little bit here, but I mean, <laughs> I uh, okay. You, you have 50, 50 contributors to, to this AP award. I don't think any are actually AP people. I think I, I, I read that out there. Uh, none, none representing Pittsburgh. Okay. First and foremost, I think that every team, uh, you should probably have the pro football writers. What, what's the association? Is it pro pro football? Uh, pro football writers of America. Yeah, uh, of America. Uh, th- that entity in and of itself should probably have some sort of voting process where they each vote on and elect one person from whatever outlet, you know, it is in each NFL city. So you should have. Thirty-two voted on people to represent the fifty. You know, thirty-two of the fifty. That way, you make sure you have one in every NFL city, cover, covering each team. Uh, that that that's one thing that that I think should be done there. And then the other eighteen can kind of be an at-large, if you will. I like and, that uh, national. Uh, guys, and Lord, there's uh, there's plenty of them to choose from. And then once again, I I I think that I think of the 32 that you uh here's here's my process, and I I just put this together on, on, on the cuff here. Of the 32 that you that the Pro Football Writers of America vote as their 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 team representatives, then maybe have those 32 vote on who the 18 at large would be. Okay. Okay. So so that should make up your 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 fifty right there. That's the first part of the soapbox that 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 that, that I I would uh, present there. The second part is is, boy, they had no problem throwing errant shots from football outsiders under the bus as the I think the one 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 uh, of the fifty that did not have Lamar Jackson as the. Uh, a, 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 as MVP, uh, and, Yeah, as MVP there, uh, one of the one of the API guys, I forget which one it was, clearly defined him as the one guy who did not vote for for Lamar Jackson. OK, I'm I'm fine with them doing that. But long story short, I, I think there has to be more transparency as to mm-hmm. what what these scorecards look like. All
1: ballots should be public. Everyone should. Every ballot should be known and revealed by each person that votes.
0: Right. And immediately after the awards are done, you know, I mean, we Mm -hmm. see this with the Heisman, right?
1: Yeah, right. We do see that. Right. Right. We did. a baseball Hall of Fame. Do we see that for that? I think that's just if you want to show your ballots, you can. I don't think that's required. Right. I'm just thinking on the fly here.
0: Right. And look, I'm not I'm not I'm not. Advocating stalking these guys or whatnot, but I mean, if you're going to have the job of picking these prestigious awards like this, and then, then you have to have, in my in my opinion, the transparency, especially if you have members of the AP willing to, and and and, I, and I'm not I'm not on these guys for identifying. Uh, Aaron Schatz. Uh, I think Aaron Schatz does a fantastic job in and what he built over the years with football outsiders and 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 the metrics and all involved in that. But if you're gonna throw somebody like him under the bus, then then just open the whole damn thing up and and let us see behind the curtain on of of, of who who voted for who, because there there is I, I there should be some pushback to uh not necessarily who, who they voted, you know, the winners and losers and all like that. But we should know who the eight uh, people are who did not have TJ Watt as as, you know, in, in, in their top three there. So that that's my two major takeaways, I guess, as as far as the process goes.
1: Now, I believe Aaron listed out his entire ballot. I believe he shared that publicly okay. and he had josh allen of course being the one so i i, I think that's why it was identified because okay. he had sheriff's ballot and uh he had tj watt third and his defensive player there he had Micah parsons first miles garrett second and tj watt third he relied on a, a double team rate graphic from i think week 13 to decide parsons over garrett but he was transparent to his credit okay
0: good and good for him you know i i don't have any issue and once again i'm not trying to point a finger at the ap guys for for but the way the timeline i was following at the time at the time last night it, it felt like they were pointing him out i did not see sure. that 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 aaron had identified who had identified so my my apologies that that way there but i mean you got to look at it i mean everybody's looking at different timelines here on Twitter and and trying to point fingers and all like that. Uh, Here's my main takeaway. There just needs Mm. to be the transparency of all these, all these uh, voting cards need to be uh, easily accessible right after the fact on, on a website or something like that. So we, Who do we point the finger at? Right. And I I
1: say transparency. Forget about T.J. Watt, just as a general rule of thumb, T.J. Watt could have won the award unanimously. And I still say I think every ballot should be made publicly available about who you voted first, second and third, because now there is first, second and third in the voting process that that started last year. And I think it's just good for transparency. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything, not at all. But in this era of gambling and people questioning things a little bit, I think the more transparency you can have in process and voting. Uh, the, the more credible uh, and, and the stronger your, your reputation will be. So I think it's just the general good practices, best practices. Having that transparency is important.
0: And what do you think about uh, uh, my idea about the football, pro football writers of, of America, uh, each electing, you know, electing one from each city?
1: Well, I really like the idea of having 32 kind of beat guys you know, from each team to represent each team, and then 18 kind of at-large national people to merge the national and local aspect because so every team gets a fair shake and gets coverage, and maybe some smaller market isn't negatively hurt by that. I, I think it's a really, really good idea. I just think, here's a crazy thought, for the AP award, shouldn't there be some AP voters on there? right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Is that a crazy thing to say? There should be some people from the Associated Press for the AP awards?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, and a more national perspective because obviously AP are scattered around cities, you know. Mm -hmm. So, So. I mean, once again, you could have your 32 elected guys from the Pro Football Writers of America Association uh, uh, be in charge of maybe Voting for the 18 18 at large.
1: Yeah, no, I I think it's a really good idea. I think maybe there should be some because they they changed the process a couple of years ago because it used to be kind of more the localized local media that was voting, making up a large portion of that. And I think they believe they they changed that in recent years. So not sure what the reason was there. Um, You
0: you have I mean, uh, one of these listed 50 is just a website outkick, right? Oh, really? Is it just a site? Yeah. What w- w- was one of them there? And look, I have no issue with bloggers being part of this. Absolutely none. But, uh, especially if they, they want to sign up and be a member of, you know, the pro football writers association and, 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 and get accepted, uh, uh, that way and all like that. Uh, I, you know, we're at that stage in, in media, I think where the older, the older generation, which I technically I'm, 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 I'm a part of, but you, it makes you want, I, I mean, we're still in the age where you wonder how many, how much a tape these guys watch, you know, and, yeah, and, and
1: they may rely on analytics because it, it's more accessible and quicker to get that information.
0: Right. Whereas there are some very good bloggers around the country that really have a, that are, that are both good covering specific teams yet objective on top of it, which I'd like to think Steelers Depot falls into that group, especially one Alex kazora uh, w- within that, you know, I, I, I think, you know, do you have to be somebody that writes for a paper these days?
1: No, I don't think you have to. Um, but you know, you, there should be, there should be just a a mix of different media outlets and national versus local. There should be a good spread of voters to really capture, I think the best representation of the league.
0: And do we need to open up even farther? Do we need to make it a a, a group of 100? You know, we're two from each team and 36 at large or whatever, you know, however the number shakes out at that point.
1: Yeah, it's that's fair. I mean, it's all, I think, worth questioning and, and discussing for whatever it's worth. And it's worth very, very little. My my quote unquote ballot would have been Watt one, Max Crosby two. I think Crosby is super underrated still. And then Miles Garrett three. That would be my, my top three. So, again, to bring it back to the actual vote, not surprised on Garrett. I'm just you're, I'm not you're gonna, still
0: you're still going to have discussions of no matter who you have as a voter. Say, well, this guy got snubbed, sure. but but at least it would be a process that that that's more easily definable I think as far as the committee and looking at the scorecards on top you're not you're not going to please everybody I mean it's impossible to do there but uh I guess and you and I are big process guys right
1: (laughs) we are I mean again I think just that transparency of of what your ballot is and explanation of why your ballot is what it is is just good for everybody to learn is that going to make everybody happy no of course not but I think if you're the voter and you carry that weight to really, I mean, you're influencing NFL history and legacies and awards and Hall of Fame resumes and all those kinds of things. You should at least be explaining your ballot and showing your ballot to to make it clear to, to everybody, to the players and uh, to the fans about who your votes go to. All right. All right. So that was unfortunate, obviously, but there was one great saving grace to the night, and that is Cam Hayward, your 2023 Walter Payton Man of the Year, six-time nominee, and he finally wins the award. And it it is just much deserving and long overdue is how I phrase this one for Cam Hayward. Super happy for Cam. Um, man, That is that is an incredible honor.
0: I, the best way to to describe that is some sort of your favorite gift with throwing up your hands and saying, finally, you know, uh, that, that, that's where I come down in that, you know, he's not a newcomer to the, uh, Walt Walter Payton, uh, man of the year award process and being a candidate and all like that. Uh, fortunately with us covering the Steelers, we get to. Uh, see the info that's pumped out firsthand of what all he does and all like that. And uh could be happier for him. Well-deserving of the award. uh You know, it, it, it adds to his great legacy. uh And once again, with it, with him being a, a candidate for this award for so many years in a row, uh, it was it was finally time for him to kick down the door, and I uh, thought it was very nice that uh, Prince Harry was the one presenting the award and qu- quite a surprise, evidently to to Cam Hayward for that as well too. I thought his speech was amazing, especially the final uh, uh, two minutes of it where he talks about you know uh, that, you know really you know. Uh, you got more to do. Every every person can make a difference and talk talk to the youth specifically within that. So uh, just all around, uh, happy to see that for Cam Hayward.
1: Sure, nobody more deserving. And what he means and what he embodies as a Steeler on and off the field is the pinnacle uh, of how the position should be held. Of what it means to be a Steeler, you know, on the field in the community, making an impact your reach going beyond playing on Sundays. And Hayward so deserving. And you're right, that was. First of all, Prince Harry, random choice, but okay, I guess we're rolling with it. I mean, I don't know how that happened, but that's fine. Um, Hayward's speech was fantastic. I was sitting there going, man, this is this is just like an ace speech. And I was thinking, okay, he's probably had this in his head for six years now, been practicing the speech, but right. he didn't give this speech. And uh, i was so glad he was able to in and, and, and honoring his family, his mom, of course, his late father, Ironhead Hayward, his wife, the Steelers themselves. Um, and then, as you said, kind of challenging, too, of, of the works not done and challenging is uh, NFL fraternity for those guys to put in the work and continue to be good role models and to step up and just a great message overall. So really happy for Cam. I know it's meant a lot to him. He's worked extremely hard. He's had Cam's kindness week the last two years. And um, man, it just again, he embodies what it means to be a Steeler.
0: Yeah, I think when you look back at this uh, years from now, and after his playing career is over, and you talk about Cam Hayward winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, I, I it really stuck out to me that 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 towards the end of there, he says, "I want to give a big shout out to every nominee, every winner here today. There's no act too small, there's no act too big. I know that hit uh, home with 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 you, uh, Alex. By the way, uh, you know does a make sure he uh, gives a lot of his time and 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 money to uh, organizations." There in Pittsburgh. I'm not. I'm not trying to compare the two. There. I'm just trying to say how this resonates with with, with the both of us. Uh, there's no act too big. We're all trying to make a difference in so many people's lives. I continue to keep doing the work as I will. This award is great and I appreciate it. But I understand I've got more work to do. I've got to make sure I represent this man meaning Walter Payton every day going forward. And so I ask you guys, my brothers, keep doing the work, keep being the positive role models you are. I know it's not always pretty. I know a lot of people like to talk about the other stuff, but you guys are the change. You guys are making the difference. And I'm just thankful for that. And last thing he says, if you are a young child and you are part of the youth, just know whether you're struggling, you're hurting, and you're just looking for somebody to have your back, I've got you so thank you so much god bless and good night I thought that that uh, really really hit home for me uh, that 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 passage there I don't know if he read that or not if it was off the cuff it felt like it was six years all, all, all in one there but I, mm-hmm. I think that part of his speech uh re- really took it over the top and oh, I'm sorry well, sorry to spend so much time but I think you know this This is a very, very meaningful award in the NFL. It's really understated, I think, uh, to some degree there. And I I think reading that passage uh, is is us doing our due diligence of recapping Cameron Hayward winning the award.
1: No apologies needed. It deserves the time. It deserves the recognition. And again, I understand people are upset about T.J. Watt being snubbed, but here's what I'm going to take away from this night, not about TJ Watt being snubbed, but I'll, I'll choose to remember last night of Cam Hayward being honored and winning the award and what it means to him, his family, uh, the community of Pittsburgh, the impact that he's made. So I would just recommend, and you can, people can do what they want, of course, but I would recommend instead of using that frustration about Watt, channel it towards the positivity of seeing Cam Hayward win the award. Absolutely. All right, some other quick hitters from the award show. Joey Porter Jr., one of the five finalists for Defensive Rookie of the Year. He finished in a distant fifth place. The award went to Will Anderson, the edge rusher from the Houston Texans. And so not many votes going to Porter there. I believe he got one first-place vote and I think maybe one third-place vote as well. We don't know who the first-place voter um, was, again, no Pittsburgh uh, people voting for the award. Mike Tomlin finished seventh in coach of the year, a couple of points there. And Najee Harris won the Angry Run Award. He won another scepter. And TJ Watt did win one award, the Deacon Jones Award that goes to the sack leader each year. So it's just a objective award based on <laughs> who has the most sacks. So they couldn't take that one away from him. But I guess TJ Watt, not that it's going to be much of a consolation prize to him, but he did win one award last night.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be putting that one on the mantle.
1: I <laughs> don't think so either. All right, Dave, uh, let, let's take a pause here. We'll come back and have our, our senior bowl conversation and recap with Ross McCorkle and Jonathan Trader. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, as mentioned, top of the show, have part two of our draft all-star game roundtable talk to the Shrine Bowl crew on Wednesday. Today, we'll have the Senior Bowl duo of Ross McCorkle and Jonathan Heistruder, who were down in Mobile, Alabama, last week to cover the 2024 Senior Bowl. Both guys doing a great job of providing practice reports and interviews and all the information you could need on the Senior Bowl. So guys, thank you so much for being here. Um, Ross, how was was part two, year two of the Senior Bowl for you? Did it have a different feel than, than last year?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I felt a lot more prepared this year, just knowing what to expect going down there, uh, knowing, you know, what kind of interview questions lead to, you know, maybe maybe good conversations and what what kinds don't. Um, so I had a I had a great time down there.
1: And Jonathan, you're you're a veteran at this point. You're the old like Cam Hayward of the uh, the senior Bowl, been down there. How many times now? So we thank you for the great job that you did, too.
3: Yeah, it's my third time. I wouldn't consider myself like the grizzled vet like you are, Alec. <laughs> circumstances, yeah. Third time's the charm, I guess. It just kind of felt like, you know, putting on a glove that just fits. You know, just kind of knowing the uh, framework of everything, whether it be the media breakfast, the interviews, being able to know how the structure works, what question to ask, being able to set up questions, being able to bounce from uh, uh, prospect to prospect. So it was definitely a great experience just to be able to not only see all the prospects you've been grinding tape on for the last six months, but also just connecting with everyone else in the NFL space down there as well, too.
0: And, 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 and that's the thing with Jonathan. Johnson, you've been uh, kind of you know on the draft for quite a while, even dating back to uh, you know, once the uh, regular season start, 2023 season started, uh, I put up obviously that uh, that 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 cheat sheet every year. Uh, Ross, I would imagine that was more helpful for you in the in the days leading up to it. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I imagine Jonathan, uh, you know, how how did those cheat sheets kind of help you
3: guys? They were nice. Like, it's nice when, you know, you're doing, like, I start, like, just with a few draft profiles in summer scouting, like, in July, right? And then you start going through, like, the previews of all the games, like, up before every Saturday or every weekend. And then you do the uh, highlights or being able to, like, pick out players that stood out from that week's game. So, like, between that and just watching the games throughout the season, like, you start to get an understanding of, like, what players are, like, kind of near the top of the position and also like that's where you kind of cross-check that with the cheat sheets and so like okay that's where it's not just my bias or my eyes but then you're cross-checking it with someone like when you have those cheat sheets out there it's just really nice it's kind of like what an NFL team would do in terms of all the cross chats they do with all the different scouts that they have with a certain prospect
2: and for me um you know the the Steelers obviously made the playoffs this year um so we had one less one less week to (laughs) prepare compared to last year so it was definitely a crash course so those those cheat sheets were helpful i went through you know position group by position group and did a primer kind of gathered as much biographical information as i could to to get prepared so it's a huge help
1: all right go
0: ahead alex
1: jonathan i'll start with you was there somebody kind of entering the week that you really wanted to watch based off your summer scouting? And then, of course, watching the college football season. Was there anybody that you really had your sights on? And if so, how did they look down in Mobile?
3: I think looking at, like, the position groups that I was looking at, um, I would probably say, like, when I was looking at, like, the offensive line and defensive line, like, when especially when you saw like The guys that kind of pulled out, like we saw, like Cedric Van Pran didn't uh, play, you saw Zach Frazier couldn't play because of his leg. Um, you're looking at the offensive linemen, specifically guys like uh Talise the offensive tackle from Oregon State, uh, Tyler Guyton, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma, and then specifically Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from Oregon, just because like you had. Uh, You know, you have Bo Limmer, who's from Arkansas, the center, and he's kind of in there. But like with the centers, it kind of seemed like there was a big three of Frazier, Van Brand, and Jackson Powers Johnson. And when you had two of them no longer being able to play the week of going in, then it's like, okay, I really want to focus in on Jackson Powers Johnson, be able to watch him in detail, especially just with the need the Steelers have at center, and then also being able to have a conversation with him. So that was one person in particular that I really wanted to watch going into the week.
0: And and he Jackson of powers Johnson. He's all that and a bag of chips, isn't he?
3: <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, he definitely is. It was one of those things where you watched him the very first day, and I'm standing next to Ross, and he's like. 20 25 yards downfield after a screen pass like trying to pick up a block while the rest of the offensive linemen are standing at the line of scrimmage and then he's like picking up a wide receiver patting him on the back and then being able to run with him it's just like the dude is just constant energy all the time he just has that character that you want as well as just that nastiness in terms of just being able to dominate people in the run game he's very sound in pass protection like he is everything in a bag of chips just like what you said
0: uh, it's no wonder that he uh he called it a uh called it a week uh before before the game, right?
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. Like we start, like I was watching him that day and he was dominating in uh in again in individual drills and then he didn't take a single snack the team it was like yeah, his day was done. Me okay. kind of like me and Ross were like yeah, he's 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 made his money. He's done. He's going to be just saving it from here on out. So, yeah, it wasn't a surprise. You know, talked to him a little bit. Ah, uh, Alex was really quick to put that interview out on Sears Depot. But, you know, it's just he wanted to go out there and show that he's a competitor, he's a fighter, and that he'll do whatever the coaches tell him. So, ultimately, it probably wasn't even his call. It was probably, like, either his agent or the staff being like, okay, you did everything you need to here. Like, because if it was up to him, he'd probably just keep playing.
1: I know it's still pretty early in this process, but... It- Is he a first-round pick? It feels like he is. I only ask that because sometimes we see center slip and fall. The positional value, for whatever reason, is not as as great as others on the O-line. What are the odds he goes in that first round, and will he really truly be in contention for pick 20?
3: I think when you look at Jackson Powers Johnson, you have kind of a dichotomy of like what happened with uh, Tyler Lindebaum from Iowa, who was like considered like a top 10, top 15 prospect. And then he measured in at the combine, came in smaller, ended up falling 27 to the Ravens. But then you also have a guy like Creed Humphrey, who obviously now in hindsight was probably deserving of a first round pick, but he ended up falling late into the second round because he was center, because they're like, oh, he has like these issues in terms of like mobility, which really, if you watch the tape, like they're really. (laughs) Those of those there so I think that with Jackson Powers Johnson he's going to find himself kind of in that bucket where okay are people going to learn based off of passing off of guys like you know Creed Humphrey and Leonard Dickerson in that draft or are they going to be like okay yeah we'll value him more as that lift it's mid to late first round pick kind of like what happened with Tyler Linderbaum because ultimately the guy has a great size staying just above six foot three over 320 pounds like he has what you're looking for he has a little bit of the t-rex arms which kind of hurt and dock him but overall his size and his mobility at that size should warrant at least a mid to late first round pick probably
1: Ross, let me go to you now, kind of same just general question to begin. Was there any one person you were really especially interested in watching? And if so, who was that guy and how did they look down down in Mobile?
2: Yeah, I I like to uh, my my favorite position to watch typically are are tackles. Uh, I gravitate towards those um, heading down. Uh, one of the guys actually I, I profiled before going down there, hoping to watch him, was Troy Fautanu from Washington. Unfortunately, he pulled out last minute. Uh, we had a couple of those guys that we spent time profiling that didn't end up playing. So that was a bummer. Um, but once the measurements came out, Patrick Paul was somebody who intrigued me. He has that uh, just enormous frame. I like think he's 6'7. He's got, you know, 36 inch arms or something like that uh his wingspan is just a little bit short of Dewan Jones's last year which is saying something because that was you know uh, kind of a a once in a lifetime kind of arm length there um so Patrick Paul actually looked really good he's he's tall but he's able to move um he kind of comes from an air raid offense there's a little bit of you know difficulty with the projection there i haven't gotten to watch his actual college tape yet but he did look good in mobile. Um, he was, he was moving really well. I think he plays, I mean, naturally he's going to play a little high, but he had solid enough, you know, natural knee bend and, and all that. Um, another guy that I wanted to watch was Fuaga. Obviously he's a right tackle prospect. Um, he received a lot of praise down there, uh, and rightfully so honestly, the first day when I was watching him, I was a little bit mixed. There's, there was a couple instances where he was kind of getting beat, to the edge a little bit by some, some speed rushers and, and all that. So um, I didn't end up doing his draft profile. I, I don't know if Jonathan did, but um, he, he's another guy who I spoke to at the combine and he said that he actually prefers a wide zone. Um, once Arthur Smith was, was hired as the offensive coordinator that kind of became our mission was, all right, figure out which ones of these offensive linemen uh, are comfortable running wide zone or, or did that in college. And Faga was was one of those guys. Um, Jordan Morgan from Arizona. Um, my brother actually went to Arizona. He's telling me, you got to watch some of these guys. He'd been watching them all year long. Uh, Jordan Morgan impressed. He's one of the more athletic offensive linemen out there and, and also said he prefers um, a, a wide zone. Uh, I know Dave kind of put us on to Darius Robinson before we went down there, uh, just looking at his length and and his weight kind of. Well, we thought kind of fit what the Steelers typically look for in defensive linemen. Um, He ended up measuring, uh, I believe, his weight was a little under what we expected, so that kind of murky's the uh, or uh, makes it a little more difficult to project if he can play kind of five tech or or even slide inside when needed. Um, They had him rushing out from the edge a lot at practice, uh, more so than they had him playing along the defensive line. They did have him along the defensive line a little bit and you know i asked him where he he thinks he fits um at the nfl level he he said i can play anywhere um but it's it's a little difficult to project with his weight coming in at uh what was it 280 some, or 280 something. Uh, yeah so um yeah and, and, guys. And just
0: look just looking at him on the practice field he he felt he felt slight below the waist you know, uh he, he looked he looked like an edge rusher. You know, he looked like a very, very fit edge rusher uh overall. So I you know, he's one of those first guys that Alex and I talked about Al to shoot and man, I was excited to turn the turn the tape on him and and, and all like that. And you know, when he showed up at mobile, I mean obviously he could probably gain a little bit more weight, but I, I don't know how much he would handle, especially on, on on the bottom half. I wonder I wonder if he's going to be more of that uh Base rush in at the NFL level.
2: Yeah, I, I concur with that. Um, I mean, his fr- I mean, he's completely rocked up. I don't know how much more room he has to add on weight. To be honest with you, he just is. He's muscled up uh, completely. I mean, he's he's really impressive body type, but I don't know how much weight he'll be able to pack on beyond right, that. Right,
0: right. And I'm not negative on him I, 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 as a player overall. I think he's probably going to be a good edge rusher in the NFL. I just wonder if he can handle that. That three, uh, four eye, uh, five, you know, five tech, you know, that the Steelers like those defensive linemen, and and and, and especially be able to hold the gap and and defend against the run. So, uh, th- you know, that those those are my concerns when it comes to him being specifically a fit with the Steelers. Uh, Jonathan, do you do you have any thoughts on Darius Robinson out of Missouri?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of along the same ways as Ross. We were kind of talking to each other, like, because we took time to kind of split offensive and defensive line, like, between the days, and, like, we would kind of like, oh, so what did you think of Darius Robinson today? And, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, he just profiles more as that base rush defensive end. Like, you saw him move in sometimes on occasion uh, when he was doing, like, different team settings, but for the most part, like... You know, he had moments where his speed of power and his explosiveness at that size kind of like shined out. But there's also just like when he was going up against guards, like he wasn't like doing as well as what you would hope to see in terms of winning with that speed and quickness and, you know, just kind of overwhelming them at the point of attack. So he definitely just prof- profiles more as that base trust four three defensive end. Um, he t- Definitely could. Like, you know, Ross said he's just definitely rocked up. Like, the only point at this point now is, like, you just get him on the big offensive line diet like yeah, you have in the college programs and try and just put as much, like, bad weight on him as possible. Say, hey, if you get some body fat on you, like, that's okay because we need you to play at this weight. That's basically the only reason or the only way he's going to be able to move to that, you know, 3-4 base defensive end or that 4 eye tech, right? Uh, where he'll you know add on another 10 and 20 pounds to play that position just because he needs to be able to have that to be able to anchor down, down in, down out. So uh, it's possible. But again, I think his play style and just kind of like his attacking play style more suits like that 4 3 outside pass rusher.
0: Uh, Ross, you mentioned Jordan Morgan out of Arizona. Did they have him play any guard or no?
2: Not that I saw, no. Oh, okay. He's, he was pretty much exclusively at the left tackle. I asked him if he. You know, thinks that could translate over to the right. He he said he's definitely more comfortable on the left. Um, but I mean, he did say, for what it's worth, that you know, if he if he gets some practice reps over on the right, he could probably feel comfortable there. Uh, it's sometimes hard to uh, know if that's true or not until they actually get over there. But um, yeah.
1: Let, let's go to quarterbacks now and kind of get those names out of the way. Obviously, there weren't the biggest names of the class. There, Caleb Williams, Drake May, um, Jaden Daniels, but you still had really notable names in Bo Nix, Morgan, Michael Penix from Washington, Spencer Adler as well. The consensus seems to be the group was underwhelming, but I want to get your perspective. So Jonathan, I'll begin with you, just your overall takeaway on the quarterbacks as a whole, and did anybody stick out in a in a positive way?
3: Yeah, it was weird because like, you know, you can compare classes once you go to the senior bowl multiple times. And like, I will say like, you know, it was better than last year because last year's crowd was not very great. But honestly, like it was probably closer to last year's crowd than it was the crowd that when we went, when, you know, the seniors were looking at taking a quarterback and ended up falling on Kenny Pickett uh, just because there was so much competition in that class back in like. 2021 or yeah, 2022 when they were looking to draft one versus this one, it was like, you kind of saw, it was like, you know, the, it was very much the bone Nicks versus the Michael Penix Jr. And then, you know, Rattler was still making a good name for himself and he made some good throws playing with the swag that, you know, you've come to know him to have, but Overall, it was pretty underwhelming for the most part. I came away very underwhelmed overall with Michael Penix as a prospect. He just didn't seem to have a lot of zip on his passes. He was airballing a lot of passes over receiver's head. Um, it just wasn't making like very clean decisions that you were accustomed to seeing on tape with him at Washington. It'll be interesting to do a deep dive in his film later. Uh, Bo Nix was one of the first quarterbacks or first people that I wanted to profile just because, you know, where he's being projected, you know, his skill set, his traits, like it's something that I wanted to do because there's a lot of people who are like, Oh, would the quarterback or the Steelers take, you know, Bo Nix at 20 or wherever, if he was available and I came away a lot more impressed with his tape when I did his profile. And while there was a lot of, like, tweets going out there, you know, on Twitter or whatever about, like, him missing throws, like, again, it was kind of subjective. Like, you know, you could go ahead and say he missed a throw and be like, okay, well, he's a bad prospect. Or But there was one period, like, I think on 7-on-7 seven seven, as well as in team that me and Ross were sitting next to each other. And it was just like, man, he's really humming it in there. He's really threading the needle. He's being able to process. He's making great throws. He's anticipating. So, by far, I thought he was like the most impressive quarterback down there in Mobile, as he should be if he's going to be a projected late first, early second round pick. Um, yeah, I came away impressed with him overall. Uh, Joe Milton, the quarterback from Tennessee, like there's moments where I would talk to Ross and say, dude, like if this guy could hit the broadside of a barn with a football, <laughs> like he would be impressive. Like he, it's, um, he's like a Cam Newton guy walking off the bus. He can throw it 70 yards with a flick of a wrist. Like, it's incredible. But there's moments where his decision-making, his processing, and his accuracy would fail him, uh, especially going into day three. I thought he put it together for good first two days, but then the third day, he kind of waned off. Uh, Rattler overall was very solid. I see him kind of being like in that quote-unquote kind of like Garner role where he might be like a backup and then maybe work his way into a starts. Sp- uh, spot starter kind of role just mm-hmm. because he has such good natural arm talent and he just has that charisma you want. But again, it's just being able to control those emotions with him, which is something that, you know, he's battled ever since high school, which you can go ahead and watch the Netflix series to know that. But and then, yeah, I thought Michael Pratt or, yeah, Pratt from Tulane overall was good. Like he was very safe. Uh, he had a very like he had a fairly high ceiling, but a very low floor. So he's one of those guys that would probably be a, a later day three pick. Uh, you know that was been projected more of a day two. And then they had the South Alabama guy. He made a couple plays, but I wasn't too overly uh, over like impressed with his tape overall and like what he did. So I would say definitely walking away. I came away kind of like sa- sitting where I was at on Knicks as a prospect. Kind of came away a little bit lower on P- Penix overall.
1: Gotcha, and yeah, Milton. The physical tools are there, but you can watch him in the game taking bad sacks, a late crossbody throw in the end zone that gets picked. It just isn't matching up. Um, the the tape with the the raw potential of Joe Milton, Ross. What's your evaluation of the quarterback position? Do you echo Jonathan's thoughts? Um, who do you think was the best quarterback down in Mobile?
2: Yeah, I think. If you look at the whole picture, uh, it's got to be between Rattler and Penix. Um, I thought Bo Nicks had had some times when he was doing well uh, at practice. But, you know, his his accuracy was not as consistent as I think many were kind of expecting it to be. Um, another name that people were throwing around a lot throughout the week was sam hartman from notre dame um he did actually have some practices where he looked pretty good but that fell apart uh in a big way in the actual game itself he looked uh, pretty rough uh yeah i think he had at least one interception there he played maybe more than any other quarterback did in that game uh and and just really struggled overall um but yeah, Penix—the the one drive that, uh, or the one practice session that Jonathan was talking about, where he was just zipping it in there—it was actually a red zone, kind of like goal to go, um, scenario. And he, I think it was three or four plays back to back. He was just throwing darts into the end zone, uh, completing them for touchdowns. Um, so that that is obviously really impressive with the situational football and kind of being able to play in a in a short area uh, with not a lot of room to operate. I think Penix also, um, you know, he's more of a traditional pocket passer. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of passes at, at Washington. Um, and I think he he impressed as, you know, when when a play broke down, he could actually run pretty well uh, and, and beat defenders kind of to the edge to, to get those five or six yard gains there when plays break down
0: we jump back over to uh, defensive line uh, as the week went on. Uh, Alex and I kind of turned on to, uh, who was it, Gabe Hall out of Baylor. Uh, Had a couple of nice practices he put together there. And then as far as the game went, I I thought he played okay in the game. I thought he represented himself well overall uh, in the game. You look at the... You, you jump into the tape. I felt in the limited tape that I, watch, I watched on him and, and, and Alex has since done a full profile on him. I was more whelmed by the senior bowl, some of those senior bowl reps in practice than I was with the overall uh, tape. But there's no doubt that uh, from a measurable aspect, he's a guy that the that that, that, that fits what the, the, the Steelers look for. What were, you know, and hopefully hopefully nothing that we've said or, or written has has biased either of you but uh uh where do where do both of you come down on Gabe hall
2: um yeah so I watched the offense and defensive line on day one and Gabe hall actually showed multiple pretty solid pass rush moves um I think I counted he he did a, a swim in one of the one-on-ones he had a nice swipe rip he he was able to do the push pull um so I thought he had a, a kind of Good variety of moves that he was able to use in the one-on-ones. Sometimes those one-on-one reps don't translate as well because you got a whole lot more room to work uh, than when you're at a crowded line of scrimmage. But yeah, I mean, he what did he measure in six six oh five six two ninety? 290 uh, pretty long arms too. So it definitely, uh, fits kind of the description that the Steelers look for. Um, I really only watched him on that first day, but he had a, he was definitely one of the winners of that first day.
0: Jonathan.
3: Yeah, with Gabe Hall, it was, like, there's moments where you'd see those flashes. It's just, like, with him, it's just the consistency, just because when you have a player of that size, like, when you look at the, when you're looking at the primer that you put together, it's like, dang, this is a guy that the Steelers probably would want to be interested in, just as that base, you know, 3-4 defensive end, that 4 eye. Uh, Like, you, you kind of saw him play a little bit, and the thing with him is just, like, he has those pass rush moves. You see that in his tape, you saw that in moments where he was doing one-on-ones. It's just like when he would get to like team setting, like there'd be moments where he would just need, he would not be able to string plays together. Uh, A big thing with him is just overall leverage just because he is so tall. Like he just needs to learn to be able to play with more consistent leverage so that way he doesn't stand up and expose his chest to blockers. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things where he's one of like, he's definitely a developmental defensive lineman. He's not that guy that's like, Stefan to it coming off the bus, right? Because I think his best season was like three years ago when he had six and a half sacks and those have kind of dropped off. But you definitely see the flashes and the potential that are there. It's just a matter of continuing to refine it. Like he's definitely no Daniel McCullers with all the sides, but you know, ultimately like didn't play it. Like you see the play in him. It's just a matter of developing it. So that's where, you know, going back through Alex's report after he did it, like I'm very much in alignment with where he kind of has him as more of that developmental guy that has the traits and the tools. It's just a matter of trying to get it out of him a little bit, but he's definitely a guy that the Steelers should probably be targeting in the mid rounds.
0: Who, who else on our defensive line, at least from a, what, you know, what, you fitting with the steelers and what they what they potentially would be looking for uh who, who you know who who stuck out the most
3: yeah I was gonna answer this because I'm working on the profile uh right now it's gonna be done today. Uh Justin uh Ibogbe from Alabama. He kinda has that similar size in terms of that six foot four, six foot five, two ninety, 290, two ninety five plus like fits the mold of kind of what that base defensive end is like, and he had several really good reps and one-on-ones at the senior bowl. Uh, Overall, I don't know, like he did okay in the game Uh, going through his tape right now watching through a couple games, like, he's kind of uh, more of that mid-round kind of guy, maybe not, like, you know, uh, Keanu Bain, where he's, like, the top of day two kind of guy, but what I see from him is that he moves up and down the line of scrimmage. He played as far in as the nose tackle. He played as far outside as, like, outside edge rusher, outside of the tackle, so you like that versatility. He's a strong base defensive end where he's able to take on blocks well. He's able to take on double teams. He's able to make clog up running lanes, which you like to see out of one of those base defensive ends. Overall, pass rush wise, he has a few different moves. Again, it's just the consistency of stringing those together because there's moments where his first move might fail. And then he kind of tends to panic rather than going with a straight counter. So, again, it's just one of more of those developmental defensive linemen. Gabe Hall has better overall measurables by a little bit than uh, Ibagbe. So I would probably say like you might have him just a little bit above. But Ibogbe did have his best season this year at Alabama with 7-7 seven, seven half sacks. So you saw that progression as a pass rusher. He still needs to continue to work on it. But he's definitely a guy that the Steelers could look to in terms of like the middle rounds. If they don't take someone early, say if they focus on offensive line or corner, that they could probably take and probably add to their defensive line rotation.
2: Ross? Go ahead, Ross. Yeah. Um well, well I mean, one, that, one,
0: that that Braden Fisk had a good week, but you just look at those arms of his and wonder if he's gonna get thrown out of the thrown out of the club by the steers because of that, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's who I was about to talk talk about is uh Braden Fisk. I ended up doing his draft profile because he caught my eye so much in mobile. Uh, I mean, he was winning reps just basically instantly in some of the one-on-ones. It was like he was playing on air. Um, he has a quick get-off. He he was able to stay you know, really low, really low center of gravity there. Uh, he's got a nice thick frame all the way through. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a little underweight to kind of play in the middle of the defensive line. And that's mostly where they had him at Florida state. Uh, I think he was at Western Michigan before that. And they kind of actually played him all over the defensive front. They even had him rushing as an edge rusher at times like wide nine, which was crazy to look at. Um, but I mean, he does have the speed his, his, he has a, you know, tremendous motor. He's, he's always working towards the ball. Um, He'll chase a, he'll chase a play down from, you know, 20 yards across the field. Um, But yeah, the, the arm length is definitely a concern. Uh, in the tape that I watched uh, during his pre- draft profile, there was a lot of instances of offensive linemen just getting their hands on his chest plate and then kind of rendering him useless. Uh, and, and so I wonder about the fit there with the Steelers, but I mean, I think he won practice player of the week. Uh, they switched him they switched him from one team to the other I think from national to American or vice versa last minute uh which which you know just the sudden change and being able to deal with that and still putting together a good performance in the game is impressive um I think I think another uh another guy that really stood out was uh Duke's Dwayne Carter at least on the first day he was he was pretty explosive uh he just had a really tremendous bull rush I thought. Uh, he flattened a couple of guys like Tanner Bordellini um, and and was just consistently standing out in some of those one-on-one drills in the first day of practice.
1: Let's jump to cornerback now, and I really want to get your guys' thoughts on a, on a couple of names here. Obviously, there's Kalen King from uh, Penn State and his relationship with Joey Porter. I think you guys had spoken with him. Quinone Mitchell from Toledo, really interesting guy that seemed to have a, a fantastic week down at the Senior Bowl, even Max Melton from Rutgers is a guy I want to learn more about. So, Jonathan, I'll start with you, just your overview of the cornerback group down there and some of those names that I mentioned.
3: Yeah, overall, I thought the corners, uh, it kind of seemed like it went back and forth between the corners and receivers. Like, obviously, with the receivers, I think with uh, Roman Wilson from Michigan, as well as Lad McConkie from Georgia, they just kind of had their way with most corners in that group. I would say, like, you know, guys like Mitchell or guys like Melton, they would get theirs Uh, from those receivers but for the most part like it was kind of a back and forth but I'll start with Kalen King because this is a guy that I want to uh, do before going down there I do when I was down there and like I kind of talked to Ross a little bit when I was down there and talked to a couple other people that were uh, scouts down there and just like between the tape in 2022 or 2023 as well as like his play out there like it just I just don't see the intrigue of a first round pick like it's he just seems like he loses his like awareness of coverage. He allows receivers to stack him. He doesn't seem very quick in terms of adjusting to receivers as they're going out of their breaks. He, it, it just, it, it, his films kind of honestly, like a train wreck from 2023 compared to 2022. It looks like completely two different people. Um, but yeah, even watching him in practice, like there'd be plays where the ball is in the air. He wouldn't be able to get his head around. He wouldn't get his hand up and he just loses space in coverage and receivers would come down with easy touchdowns receptions where if he would just make one adjustment, like he'd be in perfect position to defend the pass or even pick it off. So definitely a guy, like I talked to him at the end of the first day of practice and you know, talked a lot about with his relationship with Joey Porter Jr. says he talks to him re- weekly, like they talk like consistently, and he's just constantly picking his brain about this whole draft process. You know, talks about how like he would love to be able to be his teammate again just because they had such a great relationship in Penn State, but I just don't see the intrigue with him. He's a guy that has the traits, he has the tools, he has the athleticism, but again, it's one of those things where he really like had a bad year on tape based off of what you saw, and he just really needs to Uh, refine that, and hone that back in. So he's kind of more probably like a later day two guy, maybe even to day three than what I would say is a first round guy. Uh, Quinion Mitchell was a guy that stuck out right away. Like he was blanketing receivers left and right. Like there's moments where like a receiver like Luke McCaffrey would get him on a nice double move or, you know, I think the clip of him versus Roman Wilson went viral about like Roman Wilson shaking him at the top of a route. But for the most part, when, he was allowed to play close up, like press man. Like he did really well in terms of carrying receivers vertical, staying with them at the top of routes. Like he just was very consistent. He was very steady. He like didn't overreact. Uh, and he also made a lot of plays. Like I think it was the second day when Ross was watching them, like he ended up making like two interceptions in practice. And one of them was a nice jump interception in front of a receiver in the end zone. So uh, he was a guy I talked to as well too. And, you know, he'd like to say that he models his game off of like Darius Slay as well as uh, Patrick Tain. And when I did the draft profile on Quinn Young, yeah, his his tape did match up a lot with what Slay brings as a prospect. So a guy that can kind of play press man, he can play off, he can play zone coverage. Um, I think that he's, you know, well-deserving of a first-round pick, having almost like 37 pass deflections in the se- last two seasons. Uh, he's a guy that's really fun to watch. And I know that they don't really go to small schools for first-round picks for the Steelers specifically, but he's a Mac guy. Uh, He stayed loyal. He didn't leave after having a five interception season uh, with NIL. So, you know, like he like he stands for what he stands for. And I really appreciate that about him. And then Melton was fun to watch as well, too. Uh, Just being a guy that has good athleticism. Again, he can be very sticky in coverage as well. Uh, You know, he takes his losses where he gets them. But again, like the thing that Ross put out there, which, you know, I will let him elaborate on is like the fact that I think he had like four special teams tackles or like something or four block punts or special teams tackles. You have to elaborate, Ross. But the, the fact that his special teams value is huge. And I know like that's something that the Steelers really covet, especially in defensive backs and corners. So that will probably make him an intriguing prospect, probably somewhere on day two.
1: Ross, feel free to elaborate and kind of, is Melton, is he, was he playing more outside, inside? And it seemed like Mike Tomlin had a you know pretty watchful eye on that group and really kind of embraced the Mitchell versus Wilson matchup in 1v1s.
2: Yeah, I think uh, Max Melton, just elaborating there, yeah, he did have four uh, block punts, which is, I think he had two in one season, which led led all of college football uh, that year. Um, I think he has the, the head coach over there at Rutgers is uh, Greg Schiano, obviously a former NFL head coach. So he's got some of that going for him as well. Just kind of um, understand or being taught by somebody who understands what it takes at the NFL level. Uh, I thought he was pretty fluid uh, with his hips and transitions in and out of his back pedal pretty well. Uh, he was playing a lot more in the slot, I, th- I think at, at the senior bowl, uh, but they did have him kind of both, but you know, the Steelers definitely need a slot corner option. He could be somebody that that might be a good option there, especially given his special teams ability, just being able to develop for a couple of years and be an impact player on special teams prior to uh, making an impact on the defense. Another guy who really impressed me, uh, and who I think kind of fits, uh, the profile of what the Steelers look for at corner is Notre Dame's Cam Hart. I was going to ask uh, you about
0: him. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, he he, he was, looks
0: the part coming off the bus. I haven't got to his tape yet, though. Uh,
2: yeah, I haven't watched his his college tape yet uh, either, but um, 6027, 204, uh, almost 33 inch arms. Uh, he kind of fits what that Joey Porter Jr. and Corey Trice Jr. Uh, mold, what, you know, Omar Khan and, and Andy Weidel seem to gravitate towards at the position uh, last year, at least. Um, I thought he, he played really solid, and especially on that third day when Quinion Mitchell, I don't think, was practicing Uh Cam Hart got a lot more reps against some of the top guys. Um, he was really good at he was pretty patient reading receivers' hips. There was a lot of guys trying to do double moves and stuff. He wouldn't he did a good job not falling for those. Um, he was pretty smooth when he when it was time to turn and run with the receiver. Uh and you know, it it sometimes would look like he was running the route for for the receiver. I think he had at least one or two picks throughout the week in practice. So he was he was an impressive guy. Um another guy Washington State Shaw Smith Wade. I think he had two picks in the actual game itself including that um 99-yard return uh almost for a touch or not 99-yard but 80 some yard return almost for a touchdown. He fell just 1 yard short of of scoring there in the actual game. Um he had another interception like that in practice that was e- extremely impressive. Uh, he was able to stay right in the receiver's hip pocket throughout the route. And then, you know, I, he I think it was like over his shoulder. He he hauled in the interception. So he has a knack for for making those kind of big plays. Uh, he proved that throughout the week. Um, there was one more guy here. No, not coming to you. I lost my notes here. Sorry.
1: OK, no, it's, if you come back to it, then then let us know. Um, John, if, well, day. if you had a question, feel free to jump in.
0: Uh, I was going to go with uh, just who were the top four. If they had to name each of them that named the top four cornerbacks uh, at, at the senior bowl that potentially Steeler fits. Who would they be? And obviously, Quinion Mitchell's going going to be uh, in that. That one clip that Dan, Daniel Jeremiah posted. Uh, I think in the drills of him, just mirror, mirroring, mirroring, uh, off of a double move down the field was just incredible. Uh, that, so I, I'm, I'm going to assume Quignon Mitchell is going to be, uh, in, in both of his top, top fours. So, uh, name me like three other guys, uh, uh, each on, on top of him.
2: Yeah. Um, so obviously Quignon and then, uh, the, the guy, I just found it, uh, Jarvis Brownlee Jr. From Louisville. I think he had one of the better weeks, uh. Maybe did more for himself than maybe not Mitchell, but most other corners out there. Uh, he has really good change of direction, really good burst. Um, and I I saw a couple reps there where he was kind of lined up in press near the line of scrimmage, and he had a really physical jam on some of the receivers. I think I saw him knock at least one guy straight to the ground uh, right off the snap. Um, so Jarvis Brownlee, Quinion, Max Melton, because of that special teams ability and kind of being able to play in the slot. Um, and then I think Cam Hart just due to those measurables.
3: Jonathan. I'm going to go ahead and uh, reiterate some of the points that Ross made, like with Quinn I'll agree with also like Cam Hart as well as um, what was it? Max Melton. And then one other name that I kind of want to bring to light was Kyrie Jackson, from Oregon. Just when you look at him, especially from a measurables perspective, like he has again, like what you're looking for in Cam Hart, He stands six Oh three, four two Oh three. 203. Uh, He has 32-inch arms, which is really good for a cornerback. And, like, he was very competitive at the catch point. Again, he's very similar in terms of Joy Porter Jr., just not having that, you know, suddenness and quickness, just being a more long, lanky corner to cover short spaces really quickly. But ultimately, he does a great job in terms of blakening bigger receivers down the sidelines. So he brings that aspect to the table as a guy that, you know, if you don't, Get one of the top corners early or you don't get a guy like Mitchell or, you know, you're kind of looking to pick your flavor between like a guy like Cam Hart or Kyrie Jackson in the middle to later rounds. Like he's definitely a guy that kind of fits more of that longer corner that kind of almost is in a similar l- length, like uh, Corey Trice Jr., Jr., who was drafted last year by Pittsburgh. So if they kind of want to go back to the well with a similar type prospect, Kyrie Jackson from Oregon is a name that makes a lot of sense. All right. let, 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 let Go ahead, Ross.
2: Yeah, just one more name who I thought really impressed, but there's some concerns about his frame. Uh, Auburn's DJ James, um, 5'11", I, I believe, 5'11 and a half, something like that. I think he only came in at 170 pounds, so he's got that really slight frame. Who was that last year's draft, similar? Forbes,
1: Emmanuel Yeah, Forbes. Emmanuel He was Forbes. taller, but yeah, really light.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, he had a, he had a great week, um, from, you know, on, on day two, I was watching them. He has that small frame, but he covers really well. He he was always near the ball. Uh, he breaks down his feet well at the top of receivers routes. And, you know, he has that kind of short area of quickness that you look for. Um, I do think I saw at least two interceptions bounce off his hands, So that's a concern, but he was in the area a lot. Outside of his frame, uh, you know, I don't know if he is the type of guy the Steelers are going to look at at 170, but he, he impressed.
0: Uh, yeah, off the ball linebacker that the, the network NFL, uh, network sort of pushed, uh, uh, Peyton wilson out to the forefront he he was highlighted quite a bit six foot four and one eight, 234 uh really runs uh, still good but i think he's had some uh some injury concerns uh in 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 the past there and boy when was the last time the Steelers drafted a six foot four uh off the ball uh a linebacker there but i mean uh I, you know what kind of did 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 his week live up to kind of You know, overall, it feels like it did Uh, the expectations of why he was pushed to the forefront and and who else of that off the ball linebacker group uh, excelled during the week.
2: Yeah, I think Peyton Wilson uh, definitely lived up to the hype. Um, Obviously, there's significant medical uh, concerns with him. I think he had uh, at least two major knee injuries, maybe one or two shoulder injuries uh, throughout high school and college. Uh, he talked. I actually asked him about that after practice one day. He talked about uh, playing at the right weight, so I think he's packed on a little bit more weight um, and a little bit more muscle. Uh, he talked about nutrition and stuff like that. He says um, he's been meeting with combine doctors throughout this process so far, uh, leading up to the draft, and he's saying that the medicals look well. We'll ultimately see that here in a few weeks at the combine. But I mean, his size, his speed—I think they they had that. Uh, zebra technologies or whatever at the, at the senior bowl. And it would kind of track the top uh, miles per hour top, like top speed that players reach throughout the week. And uh, I think he's going to run extremely fast in the 40. I, I believe he told me his goal was four, four or under. So if he's able to do that at six, four, I mean, he's, he definitely deserves the attention that he was getting on NFL network, if that's the case. Um, he also just has a tremendous hustle. I think Jonathan m- may have done his draft profile, but he, he uh, there was plays where he would be running 30 yards downfield to make the tackle. Um, he did struggle a little bit in in coverage, which I, with, with his athleticism uh, was kind of surprising. There were some times where he was just losing guys at the top of the route. They were shaking him a little easier than I would have hoped. Um, another guy that stood out, uh, UNC's Cedric Gray, he had a nice week overall. Um, I think he had a couple pass breakups in the actual senior bowl itself, and he was showing that in practice as well. He has a good feel of, you know, kind of reading the quarterback's eyes, flowing to where the pass is going to be, and then he he uh, elevates really well. So he was kind of getting up there and batting down some of those passes. Uh, and he was also he was good in coverage, um, just in those one-on-ones against some of the running backs. He, his change of direction was a little bit better, maybe than than Peyton Wilson. So he was another name uh, that stuck out to me.
0: Jonathan, any thoughts on the off the line, off the ball linebacker group?
2: Yeah,
3: I was going to kind of reiterate some thoughts on uh, Peyton Wilson. instead of Gray, like Ross talked about. Yeah, with uh, the coverage aspect, we're doing his profile. He always do, seems to do better in terms of coverage when he's playing with someone in front of him, rather than having it where he has to work those transitions. Like there's a couple instances on tape where you see. Uh, receivers start to stack him vertically or tight end or running back start to stack him vertically. And it's just that quick transition of being able to flow vertically where he tends to struggle a little bit. And that kind of like was, uh, you know, reiterated in the senior bowl practices. But overall, I thought he played really well, uh, kind of matched up with what you saw in tape, just being that big physical guy coming off the bus that has all the athleticism in the world. Again, the question is the medicals. It's one of the worst medicals that I've seen in a long time. But again, it sounds like everything's looking good from that perspective. But, you know, a prospect's going to, you know, be positive about that. And that will be determined a lot by what happens down in Indy. Uh, I was also very happy with what happened with the Gray. He was a guy that I watched a lot during the season. And again, he just kind of reiterated those, fact, those uh, facts of being one of the most productive linebackers these last two seasons in college football. As That guy that can be like the quarterback of the defense, be the Green Dot guy. Uh, the questions that kind of surrounded him was his ability to play in space and his coverage. So the fact that he actually did well in those aspects at the Senior Bowl and practice as well as the game kind of really is a feather in his cap in a way. A couple other guys that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, I'm the Notre Dame linebackers played well overall. I, uh, Bertrand and then uh, Luafu, I, I thought Luafu played really well. Like he was just consistently making plays, whether well, it be in coverage, he was showing great pursuit to the ball. Uh, he just kind of seemed to be in the right spot at the right time in a lot of cases. And I mean, with standing six foot two, two thirty nine, with thirty four inch arms as an outside linebacker or as an inside linebacker, that's really good, especially when you're looking to stack and shed. Uh, offensive lineman, so I thought he represented himself pretty good. Uh, Jackson Sermon from California was another guy that stood out. I know he made a a pretty impressive interception in like seven-on-seven in the end zone on, I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was like uh, Joe Milton. So ultimately, I thought he represented himself and had a really good day as a guy that's kind of more of a day-three prospect at linebacker. Uh, I don't want to murder the spelling of the Washington linebacker's name, so I won't do it, but ultimately, I thought that he was – pretty impressive overall. His in frame was very impressive. Like he's stands 60, six zero six six zero zero five two thirty nine. 239 But ultimately, like I thought he did really good in terms of his movement. He just flows to the football very, very well. Um, he has a very similar looking frame to, uh, Dayon Henley coming out last year from Washington State who was just that guy that was just rocked up looked like he was chiseled out of stone so he was a guy that kind of stood out to me and another name to kind of just keep an eye on that was a very productive uh player at the college level was Trevin Wallace I included him in a couple of previous mock drafts as like more of a day three linebacker that students could have interested in uh you know 6012 244 he's kind of like that downhill thumper kind of built in the same mold as like a Vince Williams Mark Robinson uh, had a lot of sacks and tackles for loss in college but he actually showed a well in coverage from my understanding from what I saw with him in Mobile so something that I did not expect to see but something that was a pleasant surprise so Trevin Wallace is a name just to kind of keep on the back burner especially when you start the pro day visits and you know just kind of keeping up to date with what's going to happen just because those Kentucky linebackers they tend to play well in the league.
0: But before I think Alex probably gonna ask about safeties, I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh uh the wide receiver class, man. Uh the more that you got to learn about these guys as the week went on, uh and, 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 and watching some of the practice, man, take your pick. I mean, it feels like this was was a, a at least from from where I'm sitting, I wasn't there. Felt like man, a really really strong wide receiver group at the senior ball here. We could probably make a whole show out of out of talking about some of these guys here. Uh, who were maybe the top three, uh, top three or four? Real, you know, kind of roll through them real quick that you could see. You know, potentially the Steelers are going to draft one of these guys. It just feels like uh, as the week went on, uh, probably not first or second round, but it, but anytime afterward, uh, roll through about three or four each set that, that you thought stuck out that you could see being Steelers. I'll start with Jonathan.
3: Yeah. So I'll name the top two. I don't think there'll be much of an argument. The fact that, you know, Ladd McConkey from Georgia and Roman Wilson from Michigan were kind of like the top two dogs on either Team this uh, week, uh, both of them just refined new outs route runners that have the ability to separate with relative ease. Like I just find myself like they just run such buttery smooth routes and just being able to get in and out of their breaks and just create gener- or separation like it's nothing. Like uh, Roman Wilson was dominating in his practices as well as Lad McConkie. Like he was just uncoverable at points, and that's where you know I know Alex did the profile on the So I want to dive into Wilson. I had that profile go up today on the site and just these guys that are going to be naturally put into a slot receiver role is because they are undersized, but they have shown like they can do well on tape. Again, the question is if, you know, their route running prowess can help them uh, against press man coverage, against big physical corners at the next level. But I mean, with anything, they're going to be very, very productive slot receivers for a very long time in the league. If not, they can also probably transition on the outside and play a little bit outside as well as inside. Just two guys that are going to be pros pros for a long time. Like the film speaks to it, their production and mobile speaks to it. Another name that I was really interested in and after the we week was over that I wanted to get on a profile right away it was Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky because that dude is built different. Like he's like five oh like five ten and a half. He's two hundred and fifteen pounds and they they call him like the Yak Monster or whatever coming <laughs> like this dude like is built like Debo Samuel S just rocked up very stout looks like a running back and he plays like it too like they just want to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible whether it be screen passes whether it be passes over the middle whether it be passes out to the sideline and just let that dude run and dude he runs hard like it's you you don't see him on tape getting tackled by one guy I mean he's running with his helmet coming off and he's still going hard like he's one of those dudes where if you kind of want to focus on improving the yak situation your offense you want to draft this guy in day two like he'll probably go somewhere I don't think he goes second i think he maybe goes third fourth round and like that's going to be a steal where he goes just because he has the ability to play out in the slot his ability to play out wide again the route running prowess might not be as crisp as you want it to be but you're not drafting him for that you're drafting him for the ability to out muscle and out like work other receivers like for the catch because he's so strong as well as after the catch and the thing that you watch with him when he was going through one-on-ones he was shaking defenders left and right so he was showing his like prowess as a route runner which they just didn't ask him to do in western kentucky so malachi corley is a name to know he's very built very similar like almost a one-to-one comparison of Debo samuel i'm not saying he has that like impact in the league right away but that's exactly who he looks like and another name that kind of came to my mind just off the uh, hiring of arthur smith is aj brown just that stocky built receiver that can generate yak malachi corley is built in a very similar mold to those two receivers
2: ross yeah, I thought, um, just kind of starting with a maybe lesser known guy, two lanes, Jaquan Jackson was impressive to me uh, on on day two when I was watching uh, that group. Uh, I thought he had a lot of great subtlety in his route running. He was able to kind of vary his his speed throughout his route and kind of pick when he's going to burst. he he has a good understanding of his relationship to the defensive backs. Um, you know, he, he'd kind of bait them into opening up their hips before making his move. He had a lot of that. Um, he was also, you know, showed the ability to kind of just blow the top off of the defense and just kind of, you know, win in a foot race against some of these defensive backs. So he's a name I was looking at, uh, another one, uh, you know, Tez Walker, he's, he, he received a lot of hype coming down into mobile. Uh, and I I did see some of why that was he's he's relatively big he's fast uh he, he does get open a fair amount but he had a lot of drops in mobile including in the game itself i don't think he had that issue in college much so it's like you know is this is this just a fluky thing it's hard to tell Um, but i don't think he did a lot of great for his his stock overall there ricky Parasol junior from uh florida i think he's an interesting prospect that the steelers might look at a little bit um he he did play a lot in the slot and there's some questions about how much slots even going to be used in arthur smith's offense but uh he adjusts to the ball extremely well his hands are impressive i mean he doesn't i ended up doing his draft profile he doesn't drop anything everything that comes his way um, he's able to make the catch. He's a willing blocker. He's not maybe the 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 best blocker, but he is willing and he fits into the blocks well. um, you know he, once once the ball gets near him, he has some issues sustaining those blocks. Uh, but I think he's a smart player. Uh, I think he has good hands. I think he adjusts well to the ball in the air. I think uh, he he can find the soft spot of defenses uh, against kind of zone. he's he's good at kind of figuring out where to sit to get open. Um, so he he might be a name that the Steelers could be interested in.
1: We have just a couple minutes left, but I do want to talk about the safeties as Dave mentioned. Uh, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Just give me like a 30-second blurb. kinchin seemed to be the best guy, might be the first safety off the board come April's draft. And I might be mispronouncing the the last name, but uh Batai, the the Utah kid who's played safety, played running back, seems interesting. Just give me 30 seconds on the safety position.
3: Yeah, Kitchens kind of seems as that guy that can kind of play all over the field, Uh, whether if you want him to be more of a box safety, play deep. Basically, whatever you ask him to do, he's going to do. Uh, Vaki was definitely very interesting uh, just – his ability to compete like day in, day out, whether it be coverage, whether it be run support, he was always very willing. Uh, a guy that I'll throw out here very quickly to end was uh, Jalen Simpson. He had kind of stuck out to me as a former corner at Auburn. Uh, very slender, very sleek, but also he kind of showed out well with the ball production he had at Auburn. And just that kind of matched with his tape, making a couple plays in coverage at Mobile. Had a very fun interview with him.
1: Ross, uh, quick uh, thoughts on the safety position.
2: Yeah, the guy I spent the most time watching was uh, Sione Um, Like you said, he's he, he played running back throughout the week. He played a little bit of running back his final year at Utah. He has an interesting kind of story. He only ended up playing two years of college because he went on a mission uh, for his faith. Um, but yeah, he's. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what he told me, but it was uh, his bench press and his his squats that he's able to do. Uh, he's a very, very strong player. Uh, he said he takes a lot of pride in his open field tackling. If you look at how many solo tackles he had uh, his final season there compared to how many total tackles, I mean, a whole lot of them, like 70% or 80% of his tackles were solo tackles. So uh, I think he kind of backed up that claim that that he's a good open field tackler. The Steelers need a strong safety. I think he could be a fit.
1: I'll let Dave finish things out here, but my last question for each of you guys and Ross, I'll just go back to you to begin with who was the best player you saw in mobile last week? The number one player. If you had to rank them, who was that guy?
2: Yeah. I mean, we only got a brief look at him, but Jackson powers, Johnson definitely fits that description on offense. Uh, he was kind of all the buzz on offense. And then, you know, Quinyon Mitchell, uh, you know, these two players have been talked about a lot, so I'm not, Breaking anything new here, but I mean, uh, those two guys far and away got the most chatter. Just kind of sitting in the in the bleachers watching practice. A lot of talk about them. They were constantly swarmed in the interviews. um So those guys impressed. Jonathan, same to you.
3: I'm not going to change anything here. It was Jackson Powers Johnson, Quinion Mitchell. If I had to rank them one two, I'd probably give the gold to Jackson Powers Johnson, second to Quinion. But Both guys that kind of came in like maybe their day one, probably day two prospects, but I think both of them really solidified themselves with their play in Mobile as probably uh, day one guys, at least day one deserving guys. The combine will go a long way in terms of solidifying those things, but uh, based off of what we saw in Mobile, like definitely the guys that played the best down there.
0: Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's end this with playing another exciting round of Dave and Alex. You've got to watch the tape on this guy, <laughs> uh, uh, na- quickly name three, each of you name three guys that, you know, uh, not the high profile guys that we you know, that, 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 that you just kind of discussed there, but, uh, uh, three guys that maybe Alex and I don't know a lot or anything about that. Dave and Alex, you've got to watch the tape on this guy, Jonathan.
3: Yeah. So I'll probably, I'm kind of going through the list because like there's guys that I want to say, I obviously gushed a lot on Malachi Corley. So he's a guy that I would recommend if you haven't watched a lot on that, you probably should, uh, kind of going through it again. Another name we didn't discuss at all was Brennan Rice from USC, the son of Jerry Rice. So he actually had a really good week down in Mobile as well too. Uh, he made multiple catches the very first day, like where I think it was Johnny Dixon from Penn state was like deliberately holding him and he was still coming down with catches and one-on-ones and coming down for touchdowns. So again, has that size, six zero two one two twelve. 212. Uh, he's a great athlete overall. Didn't produce crazy numbers. He had a lot of like touchdowns this year, but his yards have never been great. But again, you've got to watch the tape and kind of be able to distinguish like, okay, was this just him as a prospect or was it him playing with a bunch of other great receivers around him at USC and the opportunity that he had. So Brennan Rice, a name that you probably need to watch. And then a couple other guys that I would like you to watch are also Andrew Ram, as well as uh, Bottolini. I, I think it was like Nick Bottolini or whatever from Wisconsin. They're both center guard types, uh, kind of undersized. But at the same time, they both play in that system that uh, Arthur Smith likes to run. So again, if you mix out on Jackson Powers Johnson right away, do you possibly take someone like, you know, a Ram or a Bortolini later just to be able to have in that uh in the room with a guy like Mason Cole as a developmental center. Uh, I would say kind of similar to like, you know, a JC Hasenauer type, but probably maybe a little bit higher ceiling than that. So again, two other guys that I would highly recommend that you guys watch just to kind of get your general feel for
0: Ross take us home.
2: Yeah. I think one of those has got to be cam Hart, just due to the, uh, the, the, he fits the description of what the Steelers drafted last year at corner um, another one, Christian Haynes, UConn, uh, he played uh, all over the line, uh, throughout the week, tackle guard center. Um, I think he ended up maybe winning practice player of the week, uh, for one of the teams there. Uh, he, he was really impressive as well. And then center Bo Limmer. Um, I think, you know, there's these other centers that people are talking about. I think Bo Limmer did a ton for his draft stock in mobile. Uh, he was going up a lot against Tavondre, uh, sweat from texas i believe and uh everybody was talking about sweat all week how he was unblockable <clears throat> he's he just had a crazy bull rush and all that bo Limmer was uh getting in some stalemates or even winning some of those reps one-on-one and he's giving up 40 or 50 pounds on the guy uh he even buried Tamandre sweat on uh, you know pancaked him on one play so i think he's a name to watch
1: Ross, Jonathan, great job by both you guys. Fantastic work, as always. Really kept us informed, especially myself. Not able to, to go out to the senior bowl holding things down with the site this past week. So appreciate your time, and uh, we'll send you back out there next year.
0: Absolutely. We'll have you guys on uh, probably again, obviously, during the pre-draft process. Thanks, a, Thanks a lot, guys, and hope you enjoyed the week.
1: Thanks, guys. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. Again, our special thanks to Jonathan Heitritter and Ross McCorkle for their going down to Mobile last week, putting in the work. Those are certainly some long days, but some some really valuable information there. Be sure to follow Jonathan on Twitter at J underscore H-E-I-T-S. And you can follow Ross on Twitter as well at Ross underscore McCorkle. That's M-C-C-O-R-K-L-E. We thank them for their time.
0: Absolutely, and uh, as we said during the interview there, probably could make a whole show out of talking about the wide receivers, uh, in, 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 this group. And once again, uh, this is, as we like to say, especially early on in this stage, this is process, especially for Alex and I learning uh, as, as much as possible and let, letting these guys and gals be, uh, some of our, uh, eyes and ears early on in this process. So, uh, I really enjoy, we, we go into this saying, well, this is going to be a 45 minute segment and, it, <laughs> uh, it, it stretched into an hour there. Hopefully, uh, People are not disappointed in that because this is going to make this a longer show. I don't think you can ever have too much information, especially comes when it comes to the pre-draft process. And I think uh, Ross and Jonathan uh, both did a bang-up job, and we thank them.
1: Yeah, they did, and we'll have them on a little bit later in draft season, I'm sure, before April's draft kicks off starting on the 25th. All right, Dave, again, I know we're running long here, but a jam-packed show today. I uh, want to get to our Super Bowl picks here, obviously, and get get our thoughts on the big game on Sunday, but... Before we do that, let's hear from our friends over at MyBookie. It's
0: a big week, Alex. The Chiefs and 49ers are gearing up for an epic showdown in Las Vegas, and you've got uh, a front row seat with MyBookie to take it all in. Whether you're aiming to cash in on the big game or just looking to have a good time, MyBookie brings a true Vegas experience straight to you with a huge selection of pregame props, everything from the opening coin toss to the color of Taylor Swift's sweater. My bookie truly has something for everyone and you can bet it all while live streaming the game right from The sports book. This is a platform that makes it simple so you don't need to be a pro to turn pop culture and sports knowledge into real cash in your wallet. And say goodbye to payout sweats and hello to unbeatable bonuses. It's time you got the most bang for your buck. Choose from a variety of welcome offers so you can lock in on the one that fits your play style the best. If you crave a sports book and casino that amplifies the thrill and maximizes your winnings, my bookie is your MVP. From heart-pounding plays to jaw-dropping wins, they're your winning strategy for the big game on Sunday. Bet anything, anytime, and from anywhere, only with my bookie. And, of course, you can use promo code TERRIBLE at sign up uh, to take advantage of their offers ahead of Super Bowl Sunday. And you can find my bookie, of course, at mybookie.ag ahead of the big game, the Super Bowl on Sunday in Las Vegas.
1: All right, Dave, let's talk about the big game. Kansas City Chiefs representing the AFC, the San Francisco 49ers representing the NFC in Super Bowl 58. Let's make our picks for this game.
0: All right. Uh, my bookie currently on this Friday morning has the 49ers favored by two points. Uh, they have the O over the chiefs. They have the over under currently set at 47 and a half points on this one. So it's 49ers laying two points against the chiefs in Vegas for super bowl 58. I'm hoping you go the opposite direction than <laughs> me, uh, here. Cause I need a win here, but I, uh, I have waffled on this throughout the week, but I'll let you go first as I always do.
1: Two great teams, two great seasons, much deserving to be there. To me, what it comes down to, I picked Baltimore to beat Kansas City for the AFC title game. Clearly wrong about that. I will not make the same mistake again. Mahomes versus Purdy. I think. People lack nuance when it comes to Brock Purdy, that he's either this great quarterback or he sucks, and there's a middle ground that's somehow ignored. But when it's Mahomes versus Purdy, the edge clearly goes to Patrick Mahomes. But I think the Chiefs have been impressive because it's not all been about Patrick Mahomes. They've reinvented themselves as a team that can run the ball with Isaiah Pacheco, a fantastic defense, top to bottom. Uh, Spagnuolo's done a great job as the DC. The cornerback room is strong. Uh, The D-line gets after it. they really won with their defense and run game at times. But you've seen Mahomes and... Kelsey you know, be vintage versions of themselves in that title game against the Ravens. And so they're a more well-rounded team than they were in past years. And the Ryan is better up front, even though Joe Tooney probably will not play in this one. So all of that is to say, you give Andy Reid and Mahomes and company time, two weeks to plan, they're going to win far more often than not. So I will take the Chiefs in this one, 24 to 20. My MVP will be running back Isaiah Pacheco in this one.
0: All right. Interesting. Uh, I have the same score in this 24 to 20 sitting here on my notepad, but thankfully you no, 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 I do not. And, but I did, let me tell you where my head went throughout the week on this. Uh, First and foremost, a lot of things that you talk about, uh, Patrick Mahomes, it's hard to bet against that guy. Period. End of story. For from, from from what he's done. He's got the Super Bowl experience <clears throat> as well too. I think the Chiefs as a whole with Andy Reid and 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 the experience is something that can't be ignored. Another thing that early in the week I was I was hyper focusing on is Spags and I mentioned that mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, recently, as well too, in in, in picking some of these uh, games early uh, earlier in the playoffs as well too. Uh, Steve Spagnolia just has a, a knack of dialing up things. Uh, I think he's a factor in this game as well too. Uh, however, comma uh, I started to get into the advanced analytics related to this. Probably a no no. Probably yeah. put a, for, uh, for this
1: show, maybe one of uh skip referencing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I I, I did it anyway. And our John. Uh, Menon uh, on on Twitter is very, very good. A lot of these advanced analytics and something really, really caught my uh, eye here uh, overall. And talking about uh, EPA uh, per drop back and looking back over at conference championship teams and their ra- ranks in each of the team efficiency categories. Uh, and and the ability to pass and win games uh, he has a long list dating back uh, all the way to 2018 and a chart to go with it talking about uh epa expected points added uh per drop back and the interesting takeaway here is he has uh every team but this year's chiefs team it was ranked Ten, top ten and expected points per drop back. The Chiefs are a huge outlier when you look at this chart overall. Ranked twelfth in 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 pass rank when it comes to uh, expected points added per drop back. Uh, one of the things that was a common factor th- throughout the Chiefs all year was when when is this offense going to? When 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 is the offense going to click and if you even look at the adjusted net yards for passing attempt stat for Patrick Mahomes throughout the season it 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 it, it was low comparative to what it's been the rest of his his career mm-hmm. i think when you add that on to you know an issue i think that they're going to have at left guard in this game i and you just look at i mean you you drill down some of the advanced analytics and all like that 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 flipped me uh, the fact that the the, the 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 Chiefs are not in the top 10 and expect, I, I love trends. I love, I love trends and advanced analytics. So this is what flipped me is the fact that the Chiefs pass offense rank was 12th overall. And this would obviously be the first time since at least 2018 that a team outside the top 10 has won the Super Bowl. Uh, the 49ers uh, if you if you're scoring at home, number one in both pass offense rank and number one in rush offense rank when it comes to uh, expected points added per dropback. So that alone, I've read too much into it probably <laughs> uh, flip me uh, here. Uh, that's a long way of saying I had the 49ers winning. The Super Bowl, uh, I have them winning it. The same score you do, 24 to 20. So I had the 49ers covering uh, this one. Uh, MVP, Christian McCaffrey.
1: Okay. I like it. That's fair. Although I would say the analytics probably wouldn't have suggested the Chiefs would even get to this point. Right. right. With, with So sure. how – How much do we consider that? But it's a fair point, and and we'll see who wins out in this one. Of course, if the Niners win, they will tie the Steelers and the Patriots for the most Super Bowl wins by a franchise with six. Maybe I have a little hidden reason to uh, silently root for the Chiefs in this one.
0: And it just, the other aspect of it here is it seems too perfect with the whole Taylor Swift storyline and, 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 and Mahomes winning another one. It just, all that seems too perfect and scripted. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's part of my uh, tinfoil hat uh, aspect of this as well, too. I do admit, though, that coming in to, uh, 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 you know, the Super Bowl weeks and all like that, I was all in on the Chiefs and I think I read too much. <laughs>
1: You can really bet on Taylor Swift's sweater color.
0: I I, I have not gone that far down, and unfortunately, <laughs> in this show, we don't have enough time. Normally, you and I handle uh, go over several of the props and all like that associated to the game. We're not going to do that. Uh, I I don't think in this show here. Uh, overall, but uh, but anything in uh, under the sun, obviously, you can bet on when it comes to the Super Bowl, and we invite everybody to do so at at, at our show sponsor, my bookie at mybookie.ag.
1: For sure. It's got to be red, though. It's got to wear a red sweater. It's going to make the most amount of sense. Uh, I,
0: I would think so, but that,
1: that's above my pay grade. Partially Niners colors, too. I don't know. We'll see. I don't really care. All right, Dave. Uh, yeah, e- emails probably. Unless there's something really pressing, maybe yeah, they wanna we'll just pass punt till uh, til Monday.
0: All right. Uh- it's been a long show. Hopefully, a lot of people got a lot of information about uh, out of it. We will be back on Monday to recap uh, the Super Bowl and, you know, hopefully have some more clarity on on, on on some of these coaches that we can talk talk about more in depth. Maybe we'll have a more defined role on on what Mike Sullivan will or won't be doing at that point there. But uh, needless to say, we will be back at it on Monday. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show at the podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate, steedersdepot.com, hit the donate button. Also, ad-free version of steedersdepot.com by going to the site and clicking on the ad-free button. Nice two-hour show today. Uh, until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.